Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 89. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the first half of part one of the Peacekeeper Wars. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of what we'll be discussing. The episode opens on John unconscious and Aaron talking to him about how he's created peace. In a flashback, Peacekeeper ships are firing on Scarens in space, and we see Rigel picking up all the crystallized pieces of John and Aaron. John and Aaron are reconstituted and find out that their child is still inside Rigel. Meanwhile, Scorpius abandons his post at the vanguard of the Peacekeeper attack to track John down. We find out that the people of the water planet are descended from the species Jewel stayed with in season four, and everyone decides to take one of them to Arnesk in order to determine if they can help negotiate peace between Scarens and peacekeepers. Emperor Stalik and Minister Akna track John down as he heads toward the planet. Welcome to the Peacekeeper Wars! All right, so we're breaking it up into four roughly 45-minute chunks, and we'll be discussing it in the next four episodes, including this one. And so at the very beginning, we have this really ominous opening before picking up two months later after bad timing. Yeah, the opening of John, you know, in that bed with Aaron's voiceover, it's really, you know, it is the sort of in media res that I love, where Mm -hmm. it's like, you ask, you really have to ask yourself what gets them to that point. And I think that that more than anything is really pulling the first, this first half of part one, because I think if they hadn't had that, this first half would have just felt like a lot of really random things happening, (laughs) which it does. It does. But I think that the framing, because they, they have Aaron come back like a couple times and we see that again, a couple times, you know, the John in unconscious, probably in a coma, with Aaron's voiceover, that really frames this in a way that makes everything feel a lot more important than I Mm -hmm. think independently any of this is. Yeah, there's a lot of urgency to it because in addition to seeing John, you're also seeing the ship kind of in really bad shape. Boya has conduits sparking. There's all sorts of damage that's happening. The command is a mess. And so something major has happened and we don't know what only only thing we know. The only thing we know is that John is unconscious and unresponsive. And Aaron is upset about the fact that there is peace, but she is not willing to lose John over it. And that's basically the opening of of the Peacekeeper Wars. Mm-hmm. And then they also have a couple of CGI things that I want to mention, one of which was really good, <laughs> and one of which was like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we were doing in 2004. <laughs> the first is that they have like a space battle, which is mm-hmm. actually really cool because it exists almost in silence, except for kind of the background music. And that was really neat. We find out that Scorpius attacked a whole bunch of Scaran ships, essentially unprovoked, uh, which was which is kind of good. And then the second is that we have Rigel and he's deep sea diving for all the crystals of that mm-hmm. Aaron and John turned into. And I have, I think we need to hand wave like the recrystallization thing because <laughs> that's always bugged me. I remember that bugging me at the time. It still bugs me now. I'm like, uh, how did you know you got all the pieces? Cause essentially they turned into that gravel that's at the bottom mm-hmm. of fish tanks. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 
you can never find all those pieces. And also the CGI was like hilarious. But then he turns into a puppet as soon as he gets above the water. So I'm like, okay, puppetry I'm okay with. Yeah. Yeah. The opening scene with Rigel where he's swimming. But it is kind of cool. Like, I mean, the CGI, 2004. It's come a long way since then. And we are Mm -hmm. definitely judging it with 2018 eyes right here. So I'm going to give them a pass for that. Because what I liked about that scene with Rigel doing the the diving, and it wasn't like super, super deep. I mean, it's still in the translucent area of the water. So it's probably only about 10 meters deep that lake or ocean or inland sea or whatever it was is that we remember that rigel is from an aquatic planet his species evolved in water and i think you know he said it so many times of, you know he hates mud because he's from a, a water planet right mm-hmm. and i think it's really cool that we finally get to see him in his element as he was meant to be once upon a time before he, you know they became dominars and everything mm-hmm. but yeah the whole uh the whole science angle of this with the recrystallization you know this whole first part really is set up right it's setting Mm -hmm. the stage for what comes next and they have to tie up the loose ends from bad timing with the horrible cliffhanger that they left us with for a year and a half that we didn't know was going to get resolved until we got this miniseries as you know john and aaron shattered into a thousand million pieces and now they're just going to be like swept together again like it's no big deal so you know yeah (laughs) I think that probably it wouldn't bug me as much if we didn't find out like later that apparently one piece stayed in Rigel's stomach. (laughs) Like weirdly enough, that's kind of what gets me. If it was kind of like one of those things where like as long as they had enough that the machine was able to get like DNA and basic brain structure from the pieces, then I would be like, okay, sure. Like I'll hand wave that, whatever. (laughs) I don't care. But I think it's the fact that it was like, there's like one missing piece and I'm like, you can't. There's so many tiny pieces, and if it was 60 <laughs> days later, the tide would have moved some of them. Anyway, I don't like. I don't want to <laughs> harp too much on it, but I'm gonna. I want to say like, Farscape, come on now. <laughs> As we know, science on Farscape is not their strength, and they do move along for plot reasons, which I can appreciate. I do like the. The little plot moment of that little missing piece. But before we get there, let's get Aaron and John back together. So Rigel and Dargo have met up with the people who live on the planet. They um, have that, you know, we saw their face, the face splitting thing. There's these aliens, they have lines on their faces. And and apparently it was an accident that they, that they uh, shot John and Aaron because they were, you know, trying to defend themselves from an unknown situation. Chiana has left temporarily. We actually see her come back. And she has arrived on a transport pod with new eyes, first of all, because remember she was blind at the end of bed timing, and a diagnosian, and our favorite diagnosian handler, Grunschlick, who is as <laughs> slimy and shady as ever, and he's brought a diagnosian to help with the reconstitution process with Aaron and uh, John. I think my favorite bit is that Dark was like... Oh we thought you were dead. And everybody's like, we thought you were like, it's so funny. Cause that was exactly my audience reaction. I was like, wait, I could have sworn Scorpius stabbed him or shot him or something. But that's the glory of Farscape. They're not dead until Rigel has their head on the stick. <laughs> <laughs> so the diagnosion comes and he's waving this magic stick around, which is driving Naranti crazy. And and also, I'm pretty sure he was stumbled drunk off the transport pod, too, which, you know, instills oh, yeah. confidence, but adds a great layer of character to the diagnosion. Yeah, he's definitely a lot different <laughs> than the diagnosion that, you know, put John's brain back together. So... 
Um, he's waving this thing around, and then John and Aaron are recrystallized. And I would like to play our two heroes coming back to life. Lower your weapons. How long? About 60 solar days. Where? Still on the water planet. Put your weapons down now. Bad guys? Yes and no. They did help us put you back together. Put us back together? They said it was an accident. You're crystallized. Crystallized? Last warning. You said yes. I did. 60 days. Any regrets? No, it's going really well. Hey, we're going to get married. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> I just love that little bit. It's just, you know, John and Aaron, they were in a cinch when they were, crystal- when they were crystallized, when they were shattered. Mm-hmm. And, and so they get reconstituted in that position. And the first thing they do upon looking around them and seeing all these armed people is draw their weapons on them. And it's great. And that is Dargo and Shiana talking them down from shooting everybody in their room. I just love where he's like, any regrets? And she's like, no, it's going great. You know, and I'm like, this is totally their life. You know, it really is. They finally get together and then they wake up 60 days later after having been crystals. (laughs) Yeah. Because this is a miniseries, a scene that follows this is essentially John doing an As You Know Bob plot explanation, which is kind of hilarious, but, you know, it's, you know, just him retelling the story of Farscape, essentially. And so while John is retelling this, we also find out a couple of things about Scorpius, because it kind of cuts to, at different points, it cuts to Scorpius. Before they reconstituted John, Scorpius was on the phone with somebody who's apparently higher up than him, whose name is Grand Chancellor Mark. Marek? Merrick, I think. Merrick. I think it's, I think it's Merrick. Yeah. So Grand <laughs> Chancellor Merrick, who happens to have a very pregnant Greza on board with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that was because the actor uh, was pregnant when they were filming. And so they just decided to roll with it and then not really explain it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, Greza's uh, just pregnant. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, okay, sure. So Merrick is dressing down Scorpius because apparently Scorpius started this whole war. He, yeah, he's like, the Scarens, they only understand strength, so I must shoot first. Which, mm-hmm. you know, works with that Star Trek race that I can't remember. that or, Klingons? Not the Klingons. Well, the Klingons from Discovery, for sure. But I think there's another, I'm thinking of a Wesley Crusher episode from uh, Next Generation also. Um, yeah. But anyway, point being is that, so he's trying to be like, let's be strong and pretend that we're really, everything is okay. And of course, the peacekeepers are not at all prepared for a war with the Scarens. I mean, mm-hmm. that was basically the plot of season four was them bluffing and trying to hold off an armed conflict because they were going to lose. And here Scorpius is like, all right, let's shoot first. Mm-hmm. And he has uh, Bracca do a, like a an arm, like a lead a fighter wing of prowlers mm-hmm. to to go shoot down a command carrier mm-hmm. or a dreadnought. And they're using Sokozu's knowledge that apparently the magnetics is messing up. And so I kind of want to mention a little bit of you know wardrobe watch early, but because it's interesting, which is Bracca has like the stupidest <laughs> goatee I've ever seen. But I'm like, like, okay. He has, soul, he has the soul patch. Yeah, he's like, got like a soul patch. Like, oh, so gross. Bracca, you can do better than that. 
Yeah. Sokozu, on the other hand, has gotten an upgrade because she has like the punkest hair. I love it. Yeah. And it's also like oranger than her like bright red hair was before. And there's like no curls in it. And she's wearing like nothing (laughs) again, being the sexy alien. And she's got tattoos on her front and on her back. And Mm -hmm. I remember watching this for the first time and being like, who the heck is that? And before the penny dropped and you realize when she spoke that, oh, my gosh, that's Sokozu. That's how drastically her wardrobe has changed. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, it looks real good. Like, she definitely looks real good. So immediately after they have this success of, you know, firing on the Scarin carrier. Dreadnought. Sorry. (laughs) Immediately after they have the success of, you know, them firing, Scorpius has a moment where he's like, we have to leave right now. And Brock is like, if we leave right now, we're going to leave essentially everybody out here to die, Mm -hmm. you know? And Scorpius is like, I don't care. We need to leave. And it turns out that he has found out that um, John is alive. Harvey told him, which, okay, you know, (laughs) Harvey, way to not be a bro. (laughs) Right. And so we have Scorpius abandoning his post on the Peacekeeper front lines mm-hmm. and heading full speed ahead towards John Crichton, as he is wont to do mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And meanwhile, someone is a Scarin spy, because as soon as Scorpius starts heading for the planet, Akna comes to um, Emperor Stalik and is like, hey, I've got a spy whose record is impeccable. And they say that John Crichton is alive. Yep. So we've got all these figures on the board setting up. So to recap, our group is on the water planet. Scorpius is heading towards them. The Scarens know that something's happening. Grand Chancellor Merrick is furious that Scorpius has left his post and grazes Mm -hmm. with him. So reconstituted Aaron is feeling a little bit uncomfortable. She has the diagnosion going over her. And then we find out the very special surprise of this episode. Funny how. Different how? Like ice cream, cucumber different? I don't know. That's why I'm here. All right. Everything is going to be okay. Do you know why? Because we're done. We're checking out Finito. Next Ferengi we see, we run. No questions later. From this moment on, my one concern my life is you and our baby. What is it? Are you sure? What? Why, everything all right? She all right? The baby all right? Doc says he doesn't know what you're talking about. There is no baby. What? Whoa, 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 what do you mean no baby? Uh, if there was a little passenger before, it ain't aboard the train no more. Doc says you never were preggers. I was. She was. She, she was pregnant. You were pregnant. Right? I was pregnant. There is no baby. No nothing. We were in pieces. Thousands of pieces. Rigel said that he got every single piece off the ocean floor. Rigel. It was very thorough. We made sure of it. Even carried the pieces up in his stomachs to make sure it didn't drop. Congratulations, mate. You are a mother. Oh, no. He's all right. The wee babe is doing just fine. Yes, but it's doing just fine inside me. This is not happening. Do something. Hands off, missy. Oh, whoa. The fee. The fee is going up. You take it out of him. 
and you put it back in her. Whatever it takes. Don't won't do it. Won't? I want this thing removed immediately. It's not a thing. Fine. I want this miracle of life. The frill out of me. All right. At the end of the first quadmester. Baby's too small now, fragile. First quadmester? Give me a drink. I just gotta say that this is totally a Farscape thing to do to make Rigel pregnant with Aaron's baby. So good. Everything about it is wonderful. As much as I, again, as much as I kind of like the science of like the crystallization and then the <laughs> idea that you would be able to find all those little tiny pieces again later, I'm kind of like, no, but I'm like everything about Rigel having John and Aaron's baby inside of him. I'm like, yes, it's so brilliant. It's so funny. It gives also Rigel something really great to do throughout this whole episode or, the, you know, the section of the episode that we're talking about and beyond. And it's just, I don't know. I just love him and and uh, just being so upset about having having to have a baby. <laughs> and meanwhile, you have John and Aaron who are like, get it out of him. I know. It's terrific. It's terrific. And I think that we talked in the season four wrap up about how we kind of missed having Rigel around. And I'm like, this really gives him not only something new to do, which is kind of hard after four seasons with a character that's like Rigel. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it gives him something entirely new to do. And it also gives Aaron and John a really good reason to care about Rigel's fate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And the other thing I really like about John and Aaron in this episode um, and the Peacekeeper worlds in total is how together they are mm-hmm. in this. I mean, we talked about this at the end where, you know, they are now partners. They are completely open and upfront about the relationship, both with each other and with everybody around them. And that's not something you always see in television, especially in shows that are trying to, like, keep the tension between the main characters, the, mm-hmm. the two that are supposed to be in love. And here they don't have that kind of will they get together won't they get together here they have a combined they're on one side their baby is in Rigel and so that's where the tension is kind of coming from is like you know this other plot line of like their baby is not where the baby is supposed to be and that's what's getting you know making them worried making them protect Rigel have him become part of part of their little ecosystem of a family I guess Mm-hmm. You know, actually, you saying that reminds me of something that I've been thinking about, and I kind of wish we had had a season five because one of the one of the shows that I love, and I haven't watched it in its entirety because there's only so much heartbreak you can take, <laughs> but is Friday Night Lights. And mm-hmm. I think going into that show, you had the, the characters playing, you know, Coach and Mrs. Coach, and you had kind of a fundamental aspect of their relationship being they are not going to break up they are married and their marriage is strong. And it was like, and one of the reasons I think they did that was because they wanted to show that you can have tension and you can have drama without it being somebody's cheating on somebody else. Somebody's about Mm -hmm. to leave. Somebody's really angry at somebody else. And I kind of wish we'd gotten to see that with John and Aaron because there is plenty of tension (laughs) that they could have had while still having this fundamentally strong enduring relationship yeah no that's a really great point and we did something we really don't see very much on television especially in genre shows Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i really like that point the other thing i want to point out with this quote is the thing that john says early on to aaron being like we're out 
You know, we're mm-hmm. going to have this baby. We're going to have our family. And we're, we're getting out of this game. We are no longer going to be the most wanted people in the, in the galaxy. We're not going to help anybody. We're not going to fight anybody. We're just going to go live on a rock, under a rock, and not talk to anybody ever again, basically. Yeah. And yeah. it's such a... You know, I totally get it. They've had so much crap piled onto them. And they finally have this chance for, in the John's case, this, you know, dream come true kind of in its own warped way of a family and a child and a child who really shouldn't be in the middle of any of that. But, you know, that's that's where his mindset goes. And, of course, this is, what, the first 20 minutes of the first part of the Peacekeeper Wars. You know it's not going to go right for them. But, you know, that's that's where they want, you know, what they want. They want to get out. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we learn about the people of this water planet is that they are incredibly afraid. And Stark kind of points that out to everybody. And John, they don't know what they're afraid of yet. They just know that they're afraid. John and Aaron decide that, well, since we're kind of stuck here waiting for a little bit, we're going to get married. And so (laughs) they, um, they talk to the leader of the people whose name is Mualma? Muma? I just say Muma but that's me yeah. trying to do a weird diphthong. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we've heard her name at this point. This is just her name that as I looked up on uh, on the internet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she's actually played by the the peacekeeper nurse from Prayer, which was... Well, the actor who played the peacekeeper yeah. nurse. It's not a peacekeeper nurse in disguise. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Just to clarify, which is good because, I mean, like, I really loved her as an actor. I think she's really talented. Yeah. For sure. So she actually has this hilarious moment where she's like really excited to do a wedding ceremony because she's like, we haven't, I haven't had to do a lot of wedding ceremonies, any wedding ceremonies for soldiers. Mm -hmm. So anyway, here's that conversation all the way through the the ceremony. It's very generous of you to do this for us. It is the first time I have presided over the union of soldiers. We're not soldiers. In fact, he's the only one carrying a gun. Either way, your petition to remain among us has been denied. Upon conclusion of your ceremony, you will all leave. Right. If you don't mind my asking, who are you hiding from? Everyone. Aaron's coming! The bride! The bride! Hey! Oh, uh, come on! Okay, are you relaxed? I am relaxed. I'm relaxed. I've heard the key to these things is being relaxed. I am relaxed. They were right Stand there. here. Stand. Well, what about me? No, you're right here. Good. What are you doing? No! No! Stark! Oh, she looks so... beautiful. You look great. You owe me. I know. Is there a particular invocation you would like me to use? Yeah, um... (laughs) Dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here. We are gathered here. Beneath this magnificent... So their wedding attempt, number one, does not go very well because the peacekeepers have arrived. But before we get to that, I just love so much about this wedding ceremony. 
and Dargo being like, be relaxed, be relaxed. I'm clearly not relaxed. And it's like, dude, didn't you get married? (laughs) (laughs) A long time ago. And they probably had a much different ceremony. Especially since they got probably got married in secret. I love, though, how he's like, I've heard the key to these things is to be relaxed. <laughs> he's like and you so have, intense. And you have Chiana wanting to just be in the right place and do the right thing and so excited and Stark hovering like right over John's shoulder. That's why he's like, what are you doing? He pushes him back and Rigel is there behind, beside Chiana. And um, I think it's funny kind of that, that Stark and Dargo are like so mesmerized by Aaron's beauty when she walks up when she's really just wearing like a peacekeeper trench coat zipped up. So it looks, mm-hmm. you know, it's an A-line coat. So it looks really good on her, first of all. And she has a flower in her hair. And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's mostly Aaron and Claudia Black being Claudia Black's gorgeous self. That, But I guess it's the ambiance of the of a wedding ceremony, too. Yeah, and maybe something in her face that we aren't necessarily seeing, you know. And I like how, to her, getting married is important, but she also kind of is, like, looking at John and, like, you owe me for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. This is this is as close to John's dream of a wedding that he's going to get, right? Mm-hmm. He's standing at one end. There's no altar, but it's kind of, like, where the celebrant is, um, the the Muma, Moma, Moma. The leader. I don't know how to say it. The leaders where she's standing. He has his attendants with him and uh in Dargo and then Chiana is going to be standing on the bride side and you have Aaron basically walking down the aisle. You have a whole bunch of people watching, so it's very much as close to an earth wedding as John can get in the Uncharted Territories, and he also even has Moma saying the lines of an earth service, mm-hmm. right? So this is like John's dream come true kind of thing. And he's so excited and it's so happy. And it makes me very happy to see him so excited. And of course, it all goes wrong. Yeah. But that's Farscape for you. Yeah. Because immediately at, during the ceremony, Scorpius shows up. So Scorpius comes down on a marauder and John all is like... All the people go and hide in the temple. Mm-hmm. All the people go and hide in the temple and Naranti looks at something and she's like, wait, that looks really familiar. And then he and John have a conversation. So, how have you been, Crichton? I'm good, Bob. You, the wife, the kids? Busy. Yeah, I hear business is booming. You're right. The Scarrans and peacekeepers are at war, and the Scarrans will prevail unless you help us build a wormhole weapon. Gee, that all sounds reasonable, Bob. Only two problems. No matter what you may believe, I can't do it. And just as important, I don't think the peacekeepers are any better than the Scarens. So make sure you validate your parking on the way out. You will find no serenity during this conflict, Crichton. Examine your choices. You are not listening. Wormholes, no. Weapons, no. Killing, no. Crichton. So this scene happens after John has been talking to Harvey because he realizes that that's how Scorpius found him. And, you know, he's pretty pissed off. In fact, he, Dargo and Aaron are the ones who greet Scorpius. And he's just like, you know, bet me who it is before he they even sees Scorpius come out. And, of course, it's Scorpius. So he's talking with Harvey, who is dressed up as Einstein, who wants John to call him Albert. And he goes through this little litany while while they're conversing of, like, I can tell when wormholes are coming. I can, I can navigate them but I don't actually know how to make the weapon. 
Like that is something he feels like he does not have access to. And more importantly, as we hear in this conversation, he's not going to even if he could, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing it for the Scarens. I'm not doing it for the peacekeepers because, and this has been a recurring theme, he thinks the peacekeepers are just as bad as the Scarens, which Mm -hmm. to be fair, they kind of are in their own way. I mean, they're probably a little bit better, but they still have their own destruction and, you know, their own oppression to answer for. Yeah. And I think that his feeling of like it, it being exactly the same either way is really key to his reaction here. Because we haven't talked about it in a while, but part of him using wormholes or part of him being the protector of wormholes is that he doesn't build something like this. He doesn't show them what they potentially could have. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and going back to unrealized reality, when he's talking with Einstein, the ancient, and, you know, not fearing wormholes until he suddenly fears wormholes because he's been caught in this wormhole section and thrown into these unrealized realities. And he realizes the absolute damage and destruction and everything that could become of them. You know, it's it's very viscerally real for him. And he's basically becomes a neutral party protector of them in a way. Mm-hmm. So Scorpius is here. And when everybody comes out, because the threat has kind of passed, Stark comes out screaming about Arnesque and Eidolons and peace, and Dargo immediately tongues him, which is hilarious. (laughs) And then Dargo asks Naranti, what was he saying? And Naranti says exactly the same words. (laughs) And Dargo's like, uh. And so finally, he just asks the Eidolon leader, what's going on and it turns out that the people on the planet are descendants from the people that were brought back in time at the beginning of season four and the Mm -hmm. people that jewel are still hanging out with yeah and we get this really great powerpoint presentation by noranti as she's explaining this to john and aaron and has that little bit of a callback to being like oh right aaron you weren't worth with us then and um, her little presentation is basically a recap of what was lost, the two-part episode at the beginning of season four, which is there is a species that, or because of their physiology, they were able to help promote peace in the galaxy. At one point, they were attacked, and they were put into this time stasis or something brought out of time, basically. And so during the course of that season four episode, uh, what was lost, sacrifice and... I'm blanking on the other one, but that two-part episode and where they reversed the stasis field, they actually reappeared. And that's where Jewel was going to stay with the people at that temple to basically catch them up on like 12,000 years of history because they had disappeared mysteriously and then now they've reappeared. And so that's what uh, Noranti really has realized and Stark's picked up on it because he knows about it too um, somehow. I don't know how Stark knows much about them, but... Stark knows weird, weird, random things. And so they're really excited because obviously there's a war happening. Coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) So Durante has convinced the people to come with them to Arnesk to see if maybe interacting with their ancestors will somehow help them be able to use their powers for peace. Mm -hmm. And Aaron and John have a really interesting conversation that I think touches on a lot of points that, that we have always said about the Farscape crew. Am I going insane, or is the crazy lady starting to make sense? Yes, but I thought we were finished. So did I. What happened to run first, no questions later? Scorpius, we wake up and he finds us before we have our first cup of coffee. This is not our fight. I agree. 
But as long as there's a war on, everyone's after me, because I'm the winner-take-all weapon guy. You know, every time we get involved... I know. People die. Are we out of options? This Eidolon education program. What are the odds it'll work? Not good. Not good is the best odds we ever get. Yeah, so, so much for that plan of, like, leaving and not doing this anymore. But, you know, there is a war happening. Peacekeepers, Scarens. At some point, I can't remember when during the episode, we actually cut to some of the more of the fighting that's happening out there. And um, we also know that, you know, both sides know about John, know about the wormholes. And I see this option. They're looking at options, right? And it's like... John being like, this is a crappy idea, but it's the best one we got because our other idea is wormhole weapons, right? Mm -hmm. And that is something that he is refusing to do. And rightly so. I mean, exhaust all other things before doing that. And even so, don't do it, right? It's like, it's the nuclear option, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so you can really feel that, like, you know, it's not a great chance, but they got to try anyway because otherwise the peacekeepers and the scarens are relentlessly going to be following them as long as they are in in conflict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that this touches on a couple of other points that we've talked a lot about. One of which is that they're explicitly acknowledging that wherever they go, they leave bodies in their wake. They get involved and things do not get better. And we've seen that over and over and over again, even even when their intentions are the purest of intentions, like they are here, like, hey, maybe instead of doing massive wormhole or getting involved in this giant war, we could instead bring peace to the galaxy, you mm -hmm. know? And the other thing I want to acknowledge is, is, is that point about they have been running for so long. Like, they've spent four seasons running from peacekeepers, from Scarens, from everybody. And, but they're at the point now where they're like, when we run... It isn't effective, you know? Yeah, they can't get away. And remember, they're coming off of, off of uh, Warsaw Screwed Trilogy, where, you know, John dropped a nuclear weapon on a base full of Scarens and, like, annihilated them. Mm -hmm. And not just Scarens, but the Kalish that were there, the, the Cherids that were there, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it's more than just the, the Scarens and the Peacekeepers. It's all the races and all the species that are involved with them. Mm -hmm. And season three big finale, killing command carrier full of people. Mm -hmm. uh, season two finale, bombing a bank in a city, you know, where other people, you know, it's just huge amounts of damage left in their wake. And it's never, you know, it's the road to hell paved with good intentions, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're always trying to not screw up. And yet screwing up happens just because they live in a very chaotic universe. Mm -hmm. So as a crew, they decide to take two Eidolons with them. One of them is the slightly paranoid security guy who's been kind of shadowing them the whole time and talking about how he doesn't trust them. And the, <laughs> I like him. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's legit. Like, he's kind of who you would be like, yeah, that, that guy, if, you know, some randos showed up, of course you're going to have, like, the security yeah. guy be paranoid. And also this guy named Batal, who's a little more innocent, a little more believing in the possibilities of his spiritual power. Mm -hmm. And Dargo also brings on board Scorpius, and Sakozu because they think that Scorpius will be able to talk them out of situations because he has all the codes and he knows where everything is and Scorpius hasn't really told them yet that you know <laughs> the way he left the peacekeepers was unsanctioned and he just turned around and ran essentially <laughs> yeah we also have this really great moment where where MoMA is 
she's not going with them, but she comes up to Moya and she meets Pilot and by extension Moya and is basically asks Pilot because pilots and Leviathans are known as peaceful species. Like, do you trust these guys to take care of my people? And Pilot says yes. And it's this kind of nice little moment of like, okay, if if this guy if this pilot can trust the Moya's crew, then maybe I can with my people too. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And I feel like this episode is making up in some ways for like some of the loss that we felt in season four, where it was like pilot and Rigel were kind of shoved to the side and even Chiana really, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't have, they didn't have major moments until the very end of the season. But this is like another good reminder of pilot, you know, as his own person. Yeah. So uh, we get underway and Shiana is, of course, fascinated by their new guests. Mm-hmm. And we find out a little bit more about the Eidolons and and how they work. And Stark has prostrated himself on the floor of, of Batal's room and Shiana's like, what's going on? And then they have this conversation that kind of explains a little bit about um, how Eidolon physiology helps them create peace. Is he propositioning me? No. That's a very special gland. Small. In a weird place. It's an antenna to feelings. An inner eye. Am I right, Bacall? Yes. And our history leads us to believe substantially more. It gets bigger? Not that we know. However, it vibrates. We used to be able to create an energy field that had a calming effect on individuals, allowing them to see reason. Yeah, but you're... you little lamp thing. It can't do the trick anymore. Unfortunately not. I just like that Chiana sees sexual innuendo everywhere, which is kind of amazing. And lots of fun. So Batal's face does its split open thing and you see like five more eyes behind his face. Mm-hmm. And as Stark explains, it's a part of a system that is a emotion detector and a feelings detector. And when they have this gland that works, they can create this sense of peace. Basically, they're kind of like Jedi, mm-hmm. if you really want to get down to it, except without laser swords and lightsabers and, you know, fighting. Yeah. And, like, not the prequel Jedi, but, like, the Jedi from the sequels and then also the original trilogy, which is, I think, an entirely different breed of Jedi than... I don't know. Luke had a lightsaber, too. Yeah, but I feel like like philosophically, the prequels had, like, this weird image of Jedi as, like, essentially sheriffs, you know, that were, like, Mm -hmm. walking around keeping the peace and I'm kind of like right but they but that's the point right they were able to use their their calm and the diplomacy to try and make peace and then they of course backed it up with the lightsaber but they were much more of the of the you know let's be friends kind of Jedi than you know our what handful that we get later on once you know Emperor kills them all Uh, I don't know. I just feel like in the original trilogy and then in the sequels, there's actually more of like a Jedi's as Buddhist monks that would Mm -hmm. be kind of peaceful. I don't know. I have I have (laughs) philosophical issues with the prequels, obviously. So that's all right. I think everybody does. (laughs) Yeah. So we find out that this is how they're gonna do peace, which is you know interesting and good to know, and or at least where the capability comes from. Mm -hmm. 
And it also explains why the current Eidolons can't make peace the same way that their ancestors could and why essentially there has been war in the galaxy for so long. Well, also, I don't know if it's in this conversation or one with MoMA earlier, but if they tell that people were hunting them down, like mm -hmm. all the Eidolons were hunted down as soon as the ones on our nest disappeared. So, you know, they're also basically forced to hide and you know if they came out they got shot so mm -hmm. that's the other reason it kind of fell into disuse yeah um meanwhile we have a check-in with greza and the grand chancellor which i want to play they are in bed together and the grand chancellor is feeling her baby and apparently thinks it's his which i'm like okay <laughs> it seems to me like greza could make I'm not sure because she actually doesn't make any indication one way or the other. She might be letting him think that. And then, you know, okay, let's just talk about Greza and her baby for a second. What happened to that whole peacekeepers don't get attached to their children thing? Is that just because, you know, they're higher up in the command structure so they can have that luxury or what? I think that, yes. I think that's like one of the do as I say, not as I do thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and being super pregnant myself, it is super hard to like, to like, just be like, oh yeah, sure. I'm going to give up my child immediately after birth. Like that would, that would be very hard. You know yeah, what I mean? I, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, here's that conversation, which doesn't fully revolve around the baby. <laughs> she has a good strong kick. Perhaps to remind you that you're needed on the command deck. There is nothing to be done at the moment. You know the situation. Situations change. We are outnumbered, outgunned, and our populace has grown averse to hardship. What are you trying to say? More to the point, what are you not saying? We have now lost every single battle since the start of the war. I seek your opinion on a truce. The Scarans will accept no truce, only surrender. A surrender then? When all is lost, only. What are the signs? My dear Grazer, that all is lost. A military leader who broaches surrender. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Things are not going well for the peacekeepers. Yeah. I think this, this version of Grazer is really interesting to me because in listening to this, I heard a couple things that I didn't notice the first time I was watching, which is that I don't think she's as invested in this child as her partner is, as, as the grand chancellor is like, he seems like really into this kid and she's just kind of like, yeah, the baby's reminding you that you have duties that you should be doing right now. <laughs> and, and then the other thing I want to point out is that this is a, a Graza that reminds me a little bit of the one we saw early in season four and then also one that seems to have come to terms with this idea of of war in a way mm -hmm. that previously she would have been like, yes, let's try for a truce. Let's try for anything to avoid this big war. And then now she's kind of like, no, I mean, war is our only way through. And when we're 
when we lose the war, then we're going to have to submit to the Scarens. Mm -hmm. Well, that you mentioned that is interesting because I was thinking if this feels like a natural extension of, of her breakdown at the end of the Warsaw's Screw trilogy mm -hmm. when she's like, all hope is lost. We will never have peace. So we are going to fire on everything that we have on the Scarens and attack them first and destroy as many of them as we can. Because we're going to if we're going to go down, we're going to take as many of them as we can with us. Mm -hmm. That kind of mentality. And she's very, you know, quiet and calm about it here. But that, as you said, she's like, war is the course that we're going on. And there's no reason to give up hope until all hope is lost and she is very much chiding the grand chancellor here for even thinking about surrendering surrendering or having peace talks or anything like that because you know who are you are you a coward too mm -hmm. yeah it's a little bit lady Macbethian, you know the kind of <laughs> are you you know you have to be yeah. made of stronger stuff. But at the same time, I think you're right that it really is this extension of she tried for so long. She tried for years for peace. And her very best two attempts, the first one with Akna and then the second one with Emperor Stalik, both of them just went to crap, you know, mm -hmm. and partially because of the Moya crew and also Akna's <laughs> ambition. But it's she has seen that the Scarens fundamentally do not want peace. Mm -hmm. right. They want war. Right. And so she kind of is also now, I think that in some ways, yes, this is her kind of like, let's burn it all down. But mm -hmm. also her kind of being like, if we live under the Scaren yoke, I, I think she knows that that's not going to be good for the peacekeepers either. You know? Right. Or their partners. And, you know, they actually have evidence from the, from the Scaran Empire of, you know, how they treat their people and whatnot and how they are as rulers. And they do not want any part of that. Mm -hmm. So so it's good to have a little check in there. But yeah, the bottom line is peacekeepers are doing poorly. Mm -hmm. And that brings us back to our Moya crew, who is on the way to Ardnesk. Mm -hmm. And while they're on the way, we have Rigel gets a transmission from his cousin Bashan, who deposed him, if you remember. And Bashan is the ruler of the Hynerian Empire. He's saying, Rigel, this war is going really badly. And because you are the true ruler, we need you to come back to, you know, be an inspiration to our people. Because mm -hmm. Scarans are encroaching. This war is encroaching onto other territories um, within the peacekeeper controlled space. So the peacekeepers are like the, the enforcement, the law enforcement, the military arm, but it's the people of the Hynarian empires, the people of probably the Luxon territories, you know, all sorts of other species that live with the peacekeepers that are at risk. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought it was really interesting that that's how they decided to, to bring in that angle is, is through Rigel's people. Yeah. Well, and it's an interesting moment also for Rigel who has spent so long wanting his throne back, you know, and, and here it is essentially being offered to him on a silver platter. And yet what's interesting to me is that Rigel looks at it and he doesn't even see the potential for backstabbing. You know, he doesn't even see, well, maybe Bashan just wants me back to take me out once and for all, or maybe he wants me back for some political reason. You know, he's just, just kind of like, well, if Bashan thinks I'm going to share a throne, he's crazy. So <laughs> even Rigel kind of senses that this war is getting bigger than anybody can handle. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's happening on the big scale, but on the small scale, we also have Aaron and John watching over Rigel because Rigel's carrying their baby. Mm-hmm. And there's really this really great little scene where Rigel's just sleeping, and the two of them are like stalkery, like right by his bedside, faces <laughs> in his personal space, and they're just like watching him. And John says, "We got to get married." And Aaron just gives him this look, and he's like, "And John's like, we got to get married right now." <laughs> <laughs> So they do. We have Sokozu lighting candles with her finger, which I guess is a reference to her superpowers from last season. Right. Her being a bioloid variant of the Kalish, the, um, like a Kalish super spy kind of bioloid. Mm-hmm. And Rigel is going to officiate. And leading into that, John and Dargo are talking. So let me play that. Any good vibes from the Eidolons yet? Guitar suspicious. Imagine finding out your 12,000 cycle old relatives are still alive. Yeah, we once thought my Aunt Ruth was dead. You can't believe the stuff we found in her closet. Do you think they can do it? I don't know. You think the Eidolons can stop this war? If they can't, we get to find another galaxy to live in. John, between you and me, if this doesn't work, no. can you? I can't. Oh, for Hasmana's sake, why me? You're a domino. It has to count for something. Carry their baby. Marry them off. What next? Let them move in. What? You know, forget about it. This is all wrong. Stop. You are ruining my wedding. Honey. What? You're pointing a gun at the baby. I traveled with the two of you for quite a while now, knowing you since you first met. Over the cycles, there were times when it looked like you were going to kill each other. Other times, we couldn't have got you off each other with that Chelsea fire hose. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a marriage to me. So... Upon my pronouncement, may these two be joined as one, and evermore let nothing come be... No. So that's the second wedding that's interrupted. I'm just going to say, I'm really glad my wedding was not interrupted this many times. So there's several things here, and this has obviously got a couple couple parts to it because we have the Dargo and John conversation first. And I think it's interesting here, you know, Dargo's like, so just between you and me, could you do the wormhole weapon thing? And John immediately cuts him off and says no. So like even in his most private conversations with his most trusted bestest friend in the entire universe, he's like, no, no wormhole weapons, no way, no how. It just can't be done. Mm-hmm. And it also goes back to that conversation that he had with Aaron earlier where, you know, yes, they're going to try this, but the second option to try isn't wormhole weapons. The second option to try is run away, Mm -hmm. you know, run far, far away. And I think that that's an interesting kind of note for John because we've gone through so many variations of who John is over the past seasons that now he really is that kind of just tired guy who has lived through it all and now he's ready to say universe can't be fixed and Mm -hmm. the next best thing is just to leave it you know yeah yeah for sure 
So, and then we get the lovely part, and this is probably my favorite of the wedding ceremonies, honestly, because it's Rigel who's going to officiate, and I love Stark saying, like, you got to be good for something if you're a Dominar. <laughs> I think this is my favorite, too, because he does know them. You know, on the original Eidolon, didn't really know them. She didn't even really know what they wanted her to say, yeah. and Rigel Probably probably has heard an Earth wedding ceremony before, but instead he's doing a very Rigel thing of like, hey, I know you guys and you guys are pretty good for each other. And, you know, on my pronouncement, you guys are married. <laughs> yeah. And, there's, you know, there's something also very intimate about it's just the crew, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Rigel is there, Chiana and Dargo are there, and they share a kind of flirty look between them as they're standing with John and Aaron. And you have, I guess, Stark and Sokozo there in the background, too. And so it's just very much this crew family affair, right? It's very mm-hmm. intimate and close. And there's, you know, food been prepared, a little reception, you know, and they put decorations up. Of course, John this is where I, I it's hilarious John is like this is all wrong and it goes back to my point earlier about like he had like the earth quote unquote wedding mm-hmm. with the Eidolons where it was like very earth ceremony type and here it's not at all what he was imagining in, in his mind or in the little dream sequences we get in Dog with Two Bones but it's very much um, a very different scene but Aaron is the one who's like, this is this is my wedding, and I'm going to draw a weapon on, on Rigel and make sure it happens. <laughs> I love, I love, love, love Aaron being like, you are ruining my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron. It's so Aaron, and it's just so great. And then there's a sweet little moment where they take each other's hands, and John finally gets into it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then the harpoons come. Yeah, so they're interrupted by these harpoons because they've just entered Peacekeeper space, and it's a species we haven't heard from. I'm going to kind of speed through it because it's very just classic Farscape action. Yeah, it's basically your standard boarding party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I think they're mercenaries, like Tragans, I think they are. And they have like a Peacekeeper Marauder um, commando with them as well, who is like their Peacekeeper representative. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they make contact. Yeah, Scorpius is, chooses this moment to tell John that he left the peacekeepers by <laughs> running away, which has probably made him unwanted in peacekeeper space. So John gets really mad. Scorpius ends up sweet talking the peacekeeper commando into convincing the mercenaries to let them go. But they need to check Scorpius's ident chip. Scorpius gives them his passcode and all chaos breaks out. Yes because Scorpius's code is no longer valid. Yes. So John and Scorpius end up shooting some people and then running into pilot's den where they kind of are like hiding behind things and they're taking guys out one by one. Aaron and Dargo actually have kind of the least bit of action. It's interesting. <laughs> they're, they've gone to protect the neural cluster. And while they're there, they have an, a really interesting conversation because Dargo essentially says to her like, hey, I didn't see you as the mother type and she's like you know well john really wants it so Mm -hmm. i want you know and so i want it you know yeah it's this really short little little you know honest conversation between the two of them we haven't got a lot of those since season one so it's really nice to see between the two of them but i also love it for you know it's just like hey this is a really good friend of mine and i can actually tell him that you know this little window into this relationship how much i love john is that i'm he makes it me want to have a child with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just really sweet between it. And Dargo gets it, you know? Yeah, because I think at one point, 
you know, he's like, I didn't see you as a childbearing type. And then she kind of has this look on her face and he's like, you either, huh? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you didn't see yourself as that either. And so it's good. It's classic. And then Chiana and Sokozu take on a couple of guys after they have killed the uh, security Eidolon guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we find out a new trait of Chiana's new eyes because she got her eyeballs like literally replaced. And these new eyes can detect energy signatures. So she could actually see the weapons of the Tragon mercenaries mm-hmm. uh, tier over or a hallway over and track them and they of course don't get there quite in time to save the security guy but they do get there in time to save Patal mm-hmm. who is hiding as he was <laughs> quite emphatically told to hide by his security which is really good advice mm-hmm. oh and he tells they... you to hide do that <laughs> and there was a great moment because remember the wedding ceremony was interrupted so John and Aaron are giving out orders of what everybody's going to be doing <laughs> and then they turn to Rigel and they're like hide and I'm like that is one thing Rigel is very good at <laughs> <laughs> yes and uh stark says oh what can i do and aaron looks at him and says what do you think would help and he's like stay out of your way and she's like good go do that <laughs> so they have this like kind of fight off with the guys and then they are able to disconnect the harpoons and moya does a starburst and ends up with them on our nest and that's mm-hmm. where we're gonna stop for today yep and uh, just in case you were worried, because Aaron was worried, Rigel was fine. He hid very well and was not hurt in the attack. So the baby is safe. Very important point. Yeah. <laughs> I want to point out that harpoons are an interesting choice. Um, I am choosing to believe that there's like an air bubble or something around Moya. <laughs> well, even though in the past we have had discussions about if her hull integrity decreases, <laughs> she'll be voided into space. So I'm kind well, of like. Well, we do know that she has an inner and an outer hull. And we do know that Rigel's butt has plugged it at one point. So uh, I'm assuming that there's just all these tiny little leaks. And, and I don't know if this is Farscape. They just decided to put a big giant harpoon in the middle of command. That's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to hand wave it because whatever, Farscape. But at the same time, I was kind of side-eyeing that one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, remember, this is a four-hour miniseries. Well, three-hour miniseries, four-episode-length pieces of it. And they got to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. And so one of the things that I always think about when I watch the, par- uh, the Peacekeeper Wars, it's like, how would this have been stretched out? to be like a full-length episode each of these little bits like Mm -hmm. i could definitely see this little attack of the trayguns as they're trying to get through being its own episode just stretched out over you know 43 Mm -hmm. minutes instead of the literally like five minutes that they take (laughs) to get get rid of these guys so because they don't have a whole season's worth of episodes to fill in they just have this short amount of time to get this whole story wrapped up Yeah, we're actually going to hold off on doing our rating of Peacekeeper Wars and just do it at the very end, partially because I feel like it was intended to be viewed as an entirety or at least as two Mm -hmm. chunks and not four chunks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we're doing four chunks because we talk a lot and we don't want to have like a two hour podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) We won't do that to you. But yeah, so we will be watching the next 45 minutes ish about wherever there's a convenient scene break at that time of next week. So join us. All right, we will see you next week. We are Farscape Friday podcast at Dreamwith, Tumblr, and at gmail.com. We are Farscape Friday on Twitter. Hit us up in any of those places. Let us know how you're feeling coming into Peacekeeper Wars. And we will be doing a series wrap at the end of Peacekeeper Wars. So go ahead and start thinking what you want us to talk about and send those in too. All right, have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye.
Bye.